Once again, the stock market is pumping. Bitcoin is pumping. Gold remains lackluster with its value in Bitcoin, about the same as it was last week. And the CPI eases a bit, coming in at 8.5% compared to last month's 9.1%. This and more on today's episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. You sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 10th, 2022, and that means it is DCA Wednesday. Time to get our stack on. Once again, I find myself on the road today. I am in an undisclosed location somewhere in the mountains. Um, so, for those of you who were following along uh, with the lead in we had about recording podcasts on your iPhone. This is going to be another iPhone recorded episode. As I mentioned, the stock market is pumping again today or pumped again today with all the major indexes climbing. I know this isn't a stock show, but it does have a little bit to do with the price of Bitcoin today. Uh, As you may have uh, figured out by now, every time the stock market pumps, Bitcoin seems to pump. And every time the stock market drops, Bitcoin seems to drop. At least recently, there's been that correlation. And as of today, uh, the, all the major indexes, as I said, are in the green substantially. And of course, Bitcoin is up again. It had been as low as uh, 22,000 something a couple of times. It, in the last, well, in the last month, Bitcoin's made that run trying to break the $24,000 barrier a couple of times. And it seems to have bounced off it three or four times uh, this summer already. Uh, it had dropped to around 22,600 yesterday and and it, then it rallied a bit, and then it was it had been down as low as 22300 earlier in the week. But again, every time we do this podcast, it seems to be coming in pretty much right about the same price, uh, despite the fact there's about a two or $3,000 range there. Bitcoin has been remarkably stable for the last couple of months. Again, the stock market is up substantially today. The Nasdaq's up a whopping 2.89%, with the Dow up one63 and the S&P 500 up 2.13%. And as of this moment... Um, at the time of this recording, we find ourselves at a Bitcoin blockchain block height of 748,890 and Bitcoin is clocking in at $23,680 US dollars. That is, or 4,223 sats per cuck buck. Speaking of lackluster gold, if you want to trade your shiny yellow rocks, uh, your precious metal shift coins for Bitcoin. It is going to cost you 13.3 ounces of gold to buy just one Bitcoin. That is exactly the same as last week. So while Bitcoin's been up and down a bit, it's uh, priced exactly the same in terms of gold as it was last Wednesday. If you wanted to buy a pizza with your Bitcoin, one Bitcoin will score you 1,419 Papa John's pizzas. That is enough to feed a family of four once a day for almost four years, 3.88 years worth of pizza for just one Bitcoin. And if you value your wealth in oil, one Bitcoin will score you 244.2 barrels of Brent crude. That is about 
two and a half barrels more than last week at a cost of 409,462 sats per barrel. So Bitcoin is about 4,000 sats per barrel cheaper than it was this time last week. And for those of you who follow the market cap, the Bitcoin's market capitalization is increased about 4 billion to 452.7 billion. It was 448.4 billion last Wednesday. The mempool is reasonably clear. I'm looking at my mempool right now, my block explorer on my umbral node. It says there's approximately three blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool. And the fee estimators are saying that if you want to guarantee your transaction, your on-chain transaction is included in the next block. It's recommending a six sat per byte uh, transaction fee. Uh, and that's not too shabby. That's, that's higher than the 12 sats per byte last week, but nowhere near what we saw you know, a couple of years ago when it was costing $20 or more to uh, process a on-chain transaction. Back before SegWit and back before the major exchanges started batching transactions when fees kind of got out of control. But we haven't seen anything over the teens um, to guarantee the next transaction, the next, uh, your transactions in the next block in over a month. And in fact, one sat per byte transactions will still clear. I transferred some Bitcoin to a hardware wallet last night. I did it for one sat per byte. And it took about an hour uh, to be included in the next block. Again, if you don't, if you're not in a rush and you and you have time, uh, currently one sat per byte transactions will still clear, and I would never recommend paying more than one sat per byte uh, because why throw away money if you don't need to unless you're in an absolute hurry. The metric that you know I like to follow, my favorite metric, the on-chain 24-hour transaction rate, is also up substantially. It is coming in at an average of 3.36 transactions per second. And that is pretty close to, you know, that maximum that the Bitcoin, that the Bitcoin blockchain can handle. Uh, that's up from last week at 3.26 and the week before at 3.13 transactions per second. I like to see above three transactions per second as an indication of healthy on-chain activity. Again, that does not take into account people trading back and forth, swapping IOUs on Coinbase and other exchanges. And with the Lightning Network hitting an all-time high in capacity, continuing to grow phenomenally, uh, of course, Lightning transactions are not included in that figure either. If you're running an Umbral node or a Raspberry Blitz, you have obviously a Lightning node in addition to your Bitcoin node, your Bitcoin core running on your node. And none of those transactions, unless you're opening or closing a channel, are reflected in that metric. So 3.36 transactions, is it's a, that's, a healthy, that's a healthy amount of activity. And of course, that's reflected in the Bitcoin price run-up today as well. So uh, again, I'm not a, a transaction analysis TA chart guy, but... I have personally noticed, at least since I've been doing this podcast, that anytime we're above three or about 3.14 transactions per second, Bitcoin price tends to be rallying or crashing because obviously when everyone's panic selling, that affects that number as well. But today we are not crashing. Since we spoke last, Bitcoin did have a mining difficulty adjustment. It was an increase of difficulty, difficulty increase of 1.7%. That ended a streak of three consecutive downward difficulty adjustments. Bitcoin mining, as you know, is adjusted every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks. But since the 10-minute average block time is just that, it's an average. And sometimes it's coming in faster, sometimes it's coming in slower. That network difficulty adjustment was built in to, uh, to try and smooth that out and keep it, keep it as close to 10 minutes as possible. Obviously, Bitcoin blocks were being found a lot faster than that 10 minutes, and that's why we had the 1.7% difficulty increase. We're about 1,062 blocks away until the next mining difficulty adjustment. That's a little more than seven days away, about halfway there. 
And depending on where you get your data, we're looking at another increase of anywhere from 1.01 to all the way up to 5.2%. I think that 5.2% number is a little aggressive. We're probably going to see closer to that 1%, just like the last one at 1.7%. But that is completely up to what happens in the next 1,016 blocks. Currently, blocks are averaging 9 minutes and 30 seconds. That is even faster than last week's 9 minutes and 45 seconds that blocks were averaging. Uh, and that was right before that 1.7% difficulty adjustment. So, yeah, maybe we're looking at a higher difficulty adjustment. But again, we're only halfway there. And that difficulty adjustment is based on what the average was for the entire mining epic. And while, uh, while halfway there gives you a pretty good idea where we're heading, anything's possible. More hash power could come on. We could have some event where a major hash power comes off. So we'll have to wait and see. But as of now... TikTok next block, and that's happening on an average of 9 minutes and 30 seconds. Real quick, I want to give a shout out to those of you that are listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. As odd as it would seem to some people, uh, there are a few of you who have been streaming as sats via the podcasting 2.0 app uh, while you're listening. Again, you don't have to, but thank you for those who have. We've even gotten a couple of boosts, but we did not get any boostograms to read, so none of you sent a message that you wanted read online, but thank you to those of you who have been listening on Fountain app or Breeze Wallet. And thank you for those sats. Uh, you know, more than, more than helping support po the podcast, it, it's real-time feedback and it's gratifying to know that, that you guys are listening and that you're appreciating. It, it, makes, uh, it makes it rewarding to be doing this podcast. And of course, it's rewarding to be in Bitcoin anyway, but when, when you get that little one Satoshi, five Satoshi pat on the back in real time, that, that's cool. So thanks guys. I, I do appreciate that. As I mentioned in the lead-in, the consumer price index numbers came in today. The CPI came in at 8.5%. That is below the expectations of 8.6%, although not much below, and down significantly from the 9.1% CPI numbers we had last month. This is mostly attributed to the drop in gas prices. If you just filled up your tank, you'll notice it's not as expensive as it was a month ago. I just filled up yesterday. Right now, I'm in an oil-producing state, one of the cheapest states in the country to buy gasoline. And I paid $3.25 a gallon, which is a lot less than the four-something a gallon we were paying last month, but nowhere near the $1.86 a gallon we were paying two years ago. So, And again, um, you know, in the 1970s decade of inflation, there were plenty of times when inflation came down. In fact, it came down initially, uh, but then it oscillated quite a bit. And obviously the inflation trend was up uh, throughout the entire entirety of the 1970s, despite a few valleys. And there are a lot of politicians out there taking victory laps right now, both for the CPI lowering, quote unquote, to only 8.5% and the drop in gas prices. Um, you know, I'm not an economist, but they say the cure for high prices is high prices. Obviously, when it costs you over $100 to fill up your gas tank, you're going to fill up a little less often because most people don't have an unlimited money supply. For example, uh, you got to eat. So if you're going to spend an extra $100 on your grocery bill, you won't necessarily have the money to fill your tank up all the way. That's less demand. The rules of supply and demand say when people can't afford gas and they stop buying it, that is going to lower the prices. And that has nothing to do with the administration tapping the strategic oil reserve, which was drop in the bucket compared to the amount of oil that the country uses. And also, allegedly, all that oil got sold to China anyway, so it had absolutely no effect on the oil price if that was the case. However, this is generally viewed as good news by the talking heads on CNBC and on Wall Street. And as a result, the stock market rallied. As we said, it rallied big time with the NASDAQ up 2.89%, Bitcoin following suit. 
as we said, it, you know, it had been down as low as 22,600 just last night before the news came in. And here we are sitting at, um, 23,680, almost $23,700. Um, and again, Bitcoin has been in, as I said, it's been kind of in that range all month. In fact, when we do our uh, stack here in just a few minutes, I'll go over those numbers, but I think it's going to come in about the same. We'll probably end up purchasing it somewhere in the range of 80,000 Satoshis for our $20 investment. And uh, that's been the case pretty much all month. Also in the news today, um, well, the Democrat-controlled Senate has been busy churning out as many of Joe Biden's uh, priority bills as possible. These huge spending bills, as many spending bills as they can, they've been able to manage, almost at a dizzying pace since the so-called Manchin-Schumer agreement. Notably, the laughably titled Inflation Reduction Act is going to spend another $700 billion, although they claim that they're actually going to save money and reduce the deficit mostly because they're going to add another 86,000 IRS agents. They estimate they're going to do more than a million audit and more than an additional million Americans every year to try and scare the hell out of you and squeeze every last penny of tax dollars out of you. Uh, I think that's a little bit hopium because most people do not cheat on their taxes. In fact, they know this and what they're aiming for. Their goal is that the threat of the audits isn't to make you honest it's to make you think, well, when I'm doing my taxes, do I really qualify for this deduction? Is that deduction questionable? And so people tend to overpay their taxes when there's a threat of an audit. So no doubt this will increase the amount of taxpayer money that's coming in. But it's laughable the amount of money they're going to spend. I mean, the, they're going to spend billions of dollars on uh, incentives to purchase electric vehicles. Uh, there's a $7,000, $7,000 tax credit that is included in the bill to go towards the purchase of an electric vehicle. Not ironically, shortly after that information broke, most of the most of the country's EV manufacturers have increased the price of their electric vehicles about the same price. Who could have seen that coming, right? So also in this bill, they're going to crush the oil and energy industry with massive fines if they don't meet climate goals. They disguise this under the guise of they're going to reward companies if they cut their emissions, reward oil companies if they produce less oil. But, you know, if you're an oil company, you're not going to turn off your pumps to get an incentive. Just like if you're McDonald's, if they offer you a small tax credit, if you stop selling the Big Mac if that ha or Chicken McNuggets or whatever your best selling item happens to be, the idea for a business is to sell more Chicken McNuggets and more Big Macs. And the idea for big oil is to sell more barrels of oil, to sell every barrel of oil they can. That's the idea in business. Um, and they're not going to care about the fines because just like if they fine McDonald's for selling Big Macs, that's just going to increase the price of the Big Mac. So if they increase the cost of energy and they increase the cost of oil, that is going to get passed along. And guess what that's going to increase? Well, that's going to increase the cost of everything that relies on energy to produce or oil to transport, which just happens to be everything. Uh, so the laughably titled Inflation Reduction Act is anything but disinflationary. As a reminder, if you don't remember what causes inflation, it's not the price of vegetables and loaf of bread getting more expensive at the, at the grocery store. It's not the price of gas getting more expensive. It's the value of the dollar getting less expensive. The dollar that you spend at the grocery store goes 9.1% or in this case, 8.5% less. You know, you buy fewer groceries with that dollar. As the economist Milton Friedman said, quote, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. 
in the sense that it is and can be produced only by a more rapid increase in the quantity of money than in the output. So we got into this mess by the trillions of dollars that they spent partially due to COVID and partially due to um, other spending bills. But the solution to inflation is not printing $700 billion more dollars. And of course, that estimate's probably on the low side always because all of these bills throughout history have always tended to cost a lot more than they were originally estimated to. Speaking of the Senate, last week the Senate introduced a bill that would formally classify both Bitcoin and Ether as commodities and put them under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. They already, of course, uh, well, Bitcoin has already been deemed a commodity, is already under the jurisdiction of the CFTC. But perhaps most importantly, it's going to exempt all transactions under $50 from capital gains tax. Uh, going uh, the anti-Bitcoiners, especially on the, the subreddit rbuttcoin, have been just gloating about this bill, bragging that this makes Bitcoin useless. That, hey, you're going to have to pay capital gains tax on every transaction more than $50, and that's going to just bring Bitcoin to a screeching halt. Well, if you know anything about Bitcoin, you know that uh, it's already classified as a commodity and you already have to pay capital gains on every transaction currently. Even that $40 transaction you have to calculate capital gains on. So this is in fact an improvement, albeit a small improvement. There was previously a bill proposed to uh, make that exemption about, I think it was $400 or $500, whatever they finally settled on. Uh, and basically they call that de minimis, that if you're, it's such a small transaction that the capital gains would be so small that it's not worth uh, your headache of having to report it and not work their headache and trying to collect the pennies that you would be reporting. Uh, so unless this bill passes, currently every time you buy a cup of coffee with your Bitcoin, you're theoretically supposed to calculate your capital gain or loss and report that on their taxes. Uh, so you buttcoiners out there bragging that this is going to make Bitcoin useless, this is an improvement. I know that you guys, you guys aren't really big on the facts and you probably haven't actually researched this. You just like to gloat. And these are the same morons that have been on our buttcoin for almost 10 years now predicting the end of Bitcoin. So, of course, they're going to continue to gloat. But if this build does pass, that is a small step forward. It would make spending Bitcoin on your day-to-day -day items a lot, uh, a lot less of a headache. That proverbial cup of coffee, you could go to Starbucks or you could go out for a couple of beers and pay with lightning and not have to worry about filing taxes. Of course, with inflation soaring, $50 isn't going to buy as much in a couple years as it, was, as it will now. And we see that with all the government programs as well. You know, the, uh, the travel rule limits and the $10,000 reporting limit, uh, the, what do they call it, when a bank has to report your transaction, suspicious activity report, an SAR. If you spend $10,000, if you spend, you know, write a check for a, a down payment on a house, or if you buy a new car or anything that's more than $10,000, that has to be logged and reported. Uh, and when that first came out, that would buy you a house. And of course, they haven't changed the dollar value. And as inflation has increased since the Bank Secrecy Act was passed, um, the purchasing power of that goes down. And God only knows what $50 will buy you in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, like the Bank Secrecy Act's existence. That $50 will probably not even buy you, you know, a lollipop. But it's a start. And hopefully that'll give us some wiggle room if this does pass to getting that increased to something more reasonable, like $500. So uh, even if it isn't increased, even if five, even if it is just fifty dollars, and fifty dollars becomes effectively worthless in the future, we're no worse off. Um, so it, this is definitely not a bad thing as far as Bitcoin is concerned, with the minor exception that what I believe the security, the pre-mined Ethereum security, um, giving it the shelter of classifying it as a commodity, keeping people like Vitalik and the exchanges, the shitcoin casinos, from being charged with dealing in, unreg in unregistered securities. 
Um, this bill would give them shelter, uh, undeservedly so for Ether. A lot of people are upset about that. However, you know, there are a lot of big companies and a lot of people who have invested in Ether. So, you know, it will be good for them. And it's not necessarily bad for Bitcoin, although it's a shame to see them get the free ride uh, because Bitcoin, as you know, is already property. The immaculate conception of the Bitcoin genesis, um, you know, with no pre-mine and with Satoshi Nakamoto being anonymous and disappearing, it's just different than every other altcoin, every other S-coin, which are arguably securities and Bitcoin clearly is not. It's been declared a commodity. Uh, so, you know, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of, it's not schadenfreude, but there's a little bit of disappointment that Ethereum, which is clearly a security with that hefty pre-mine, basically that scam that I believe that Ethereum is, uh, them getting legally protected by this bill is kind of a little bit disgruntling, but it is certainly not bad for Bitcoin, whether you think Ether should be included or not. On Twitter, the notorious stock-to-flow model founder-creator Plan B continues to highlight that Bitcoin is back above its 200-week moving average and its realized price. He tweeted a chart today showing that um, touching the 200-week moving average has been historically a bottom signal in the previous halving cycles. In fact, it's only gone below the 200-week the, the moving average, I think, once before in its entire lifetime. And every time it's hit that 200-week moving average or its realized price, um, that has been the bottom and it's trended up from there. Of course, he also tweeted today that he doesn't think his stock-to-flow model is dead or failed, having said, quote, in my opinion, Bitcoin will bounce back to the stock-to-flow model value. Uh, whether that happens, whether that's true, who knows? And again, I don't really care because like I said in previous episodes, I'm enjoying Bitcoin being less expensive. In fact, if it dumps below $20,000, that would make me happy as a clam in mud because I want to build this stack. And as you know, every time we stack $20, um, it goes a lot further at the current price than it did when we stacked at $60,000. So um, I'm good with the long crypto winner. I'm good with Bitcoin being in the $20,000 range for a few more months before it goes back up. You know Bitcoin always returns to its all-time high every every halving cycle. The 2024 halving cycle is you know uh, less than two years away now. And historically, every halving cycle, about six to 18 months later, we've seen Bitcoin set an all, a new all-time high. Um, as Adam Meister and TechBald on Twitter says, you know, Bitcoin always returns to its new time, new uh, to its all-time high. We're one day closer to an all-time high. And speaking of Adam Meister, he posted the second half of his interview with Juan Galt, where he discussed um, CFI, centralized what what people like to call DeFi, but is more correctly CFI, the yield debacle, as well as going on a pretty good rant, just railing on Max Kaiser. He is obviously not a fan of Max Kaiser. Uh, Max Kaiser is kind of a clown, whether he's been good for Bitcoin or not. He's certainly entertaining. Um, and you know, you can take it or leave it. Uh, if you want to follow Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert, um, that's up to you, whether they're out there again, you know, Bitcoin is for everybody. It's for friends. It's for enemies. None of us can influence Bitcoin's destiny in any way, shape or form. It's kind of predetermined. So people out there, um, whether they're clowning like Max Kaiser for entertainment value, and quite honestly, I enjoy watching Max Kaiser. I mean, he is, he definitely hams it up, but you know, it's entertaining and he, and he's 100% a Bitcoin maxillist, um, you know, at this point in time, anyway, there's arguments that he's dabbled in S coins and he had max coin for a while. But if you've been around more than just this having cycle, you'll remember a time when, uh, a time before Bitcoin maximalism where, um, the, the you know, the true nature of altcoins wasn't really widely understood. So, and everybody had an altcoin. 
So I don't necessarily hold that against him. At least right now, he seems to be a Bitcoin maximalist. And whether or not he's only doing that for ratings or only doing it for the money, who knows? And again, you don't have to watch him. I know Adam Meister doesn't like him. Apparently, he said some things that Adam thinks are incredibly anti-Semitic or at least hint that he's blaming uh, a certain ethnicity or race for all of society's woes for... um, Well, if you want to see what Adam Meister's opinion on that is, go ahead and watch that video. It's always fun to watch Adam Meister. You know, if you talk about Max Kaiser being a clown and hamming it up for ratings values, Adam Meister is extraordinarily entertaining when he does his podcasts. And apparently he's just being him. He's, you know, he's, he is the same in real life as he is on his show. And that's the kind of entertaining high energy I like to see. So I highly recommended following Adam Meister. He's at TechBalt on Twitter. Uh, He also tweeted today that stakeholder capitalism is an attempt to normalize property theft. And that is a fact. And what is he referring to? Well, he is referring to the World Economic Forum. Uh, In their Davos 2021 agenda, they put forth the concept of stakeholder capitalism. If you want to know what stakeholder capitalism is, just go to the World Economic Forum's website because they'll tell you they have a whole page on stakeholder capitalism where they say stakeholder capitalism is, quote, a form of capitalism in which companies do not only optimize short-term profits for shareholders, but also seek long-term value creation by taking into account the needs of all their stakeholders and society at large. So basically what it's saying is that being a profitable company should be subservient to the goals of a socialist agenda. You know, we're already plagued with these so-called zombie corporations, companies that do not tra- that do not turn a profit, that have never turned a profit, that are only in business because um, they keep having either venture capitalist money pumped into them and or government subsidies. For example, it is arguable that Tesla would have never been profitable ever if it weren't for the carbon tax credits that they get to generate. Every time they make a car, they get to generate a carbon credit, which, which power companies and other companies are required to purchase uh, to offset their emissions, quote unquote. Uh, so there are companies out there that are only surviving on government money. And apparently the World Economic Forum wants all companies to be zombie companies because it's more important to bow to their socialist green agenda than it is to turn a profit. Uh, this is very thinly failed at best an attempt at communism and at least a fascist takeover because the word fascism is thrown around all the time. A lot of young people think that fascism just means mean. It's come to mean alt-right or the hardcore right wing. Like, you know, they they say that Germany was fascist because they were mean and because they had the Holocaust. And that's not what fascism is. Although, like the definition of a recession, all the definitions have been changing in the last couple of years. But originally, the definition of fascism was strict government control over private corporations. And that's what made Germany fascist was the government mandates, the production quotas and the government regulations dictating exactly what businesses could and couldn't do. And that is absolutely what stakeholder capitalism is. And Adam Meister was exactly right to call that out today. Again, when he said, quote, stakeholder capitalism is an attempt to normalize property theft. And that's all it is. Of course, Bitcoin fixes this. If you remember, people like Michael Saylor, et cetera, have been stating for more than a year now that Bitcoin is the first form of unconfiscatable private property. More than a year for Michael Saylor. Of course, the OGs have been saying this for all 10 years. But Bitcoin is basically private property. It guarantees private property and nobody can take it. It's the first time in history, in the history of the world, that we've had a form of private property that could not be taken by force. You know, sure, there's the $5 wrench attack, but they can't just pass a law saying that that's not your Bitcoin anymore. All right. Um, That's enough of the news. Um, I don't think 
that what's going on in the stock market and the economy right now um, is all that important. I think Bitcoin is going to play out its four-year cycle one way or another. In the short term, sure, maybe that influences it. In the long term, well, in the short term, if the economy crashes and we enter a recession, that might drive the price of Bitcoin down. But in the long term, you know, um, it's going to make the the price of Bitcoin more valuable for multiple reasons. A, when a currency collapses, you know, in countries where they've already hyperinflated their currency, Bitcoin is, you know, sometimes it's the only way to, to, it's the only way to guarantee that your purchasing power uh, survives. Like, for example, in Argentina and Venezuela, when people do get paid, they have to go out and spend their money immediately because if they save it for even a week, all of a sudden it won't purchase the groceries they need. People talk about Bitcoin being volatile, but I think we've seen now with um, with the economies crashing all around the world that volatility really is a relative concept. So uh, along those lines, we're going to stack Bitcoin today. Uh, today is DCA Wednesday, and DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And if you don't know what dollar cost averaging is, well, dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. For example, this will be our 55th stack. We started stacking $20 every Wednesday more than a year ago. So, so far we've stacked 54 times. We've stacked a total of $1,080, including $24.30 in fees. So our regular interval is Wednesdays. Uh, If you want a dollar cost average, if you're not already dollar cost averaging or following along with us, you pick whatever interval is, is comfortable, whatever interval suits you. A lot of people DCA whenever they get paid, whether you get paid weekly on or every two weeks, you know, that might influence what you want that regular interval to be. Uh, some people dollar cast daily. There are services that will let you dollar cost hourly. I think weekly is fine. And that's why we chose weekly, but you pick a strategy that suits you. We chose $20 and we chose $20 for two reasons. I chose $20 because quite frankly, to most of my listeners, that's not a whole lot of money. It's not an insurmountable amount of money. In the United States and Europe, for example, it might even be a laughably small amount of money. People spend that on, you know, dinner or movies regularly. So it's a, it's an amount that almost everybody should be able to come up with. Even in a, even in a poor country where $20 is, is a lot more, um, you should be able to scrounge up $20 once a month or maybe once a week or whatever suits you. So the other reason we chose $20 is I wanted to show that even as little as $20, stacking just $20 a week will add up over time. And this is because, oh, for years, almost every day on Reddit or Twitter, you see people saying, not only am I too late, is it, is it too late to buy Bitcoin, but I only have 50 bucks. Is it even worth investing as little as $50? And I wanted to show that even $20 will get you, you know, will get you enough Bitcoin that when Bitcoin does hyper Bitcoinize, if Bitcoin becomes the global reserve currency, uh, you'll have a stack that will put you in the, you know, in the middle class, at least solidly, as far as, um, as far as the average person in the world is concerned. Again, what happens to Bitcoin? Who knows? I don't have a crystal ball, but over that, uh, 55 Wednesdays or 54 Wednesdays, we've stacked 2.8 million sats. Um, that is you know, $1,080 of the Bitcoin that we've, well, we spent $1,080 and that is arguably a decent chunk of money to anyone, regardless of where you are. You could be rich in the United States or Europe and a thousand dollars is nothing to turn your nose up at. And if you're in a country in South or Central America or Asia, a thousand dollars is more than a lot of families live on. So I think we've definitely proven that even as little as $20 adds up and it adds up faster than you might expect, especially when Bitcoin's on sale, like it is right now. And to stack Bitcoin, I've been using the Cash App. 
Again, use whatever you feel comfortable using. Cash App might not be available where you're at. Cash App is not even necessarily the cheapest way to stack sats. But when you're stacking only $20, I think we're going to pay about a 45 cent fee. And that's pretty negligible for when you're stacking small amounts. Uh, if you do not have the Cash App and you would like to use the Cash App, there is a, uh, a referral link in the show notes. And if you click on that link, you'll get $5 free just for signing up using Cash App. And we'll get $5 free too. And we'd appreciate that. That's basically, you can tip us $5 and not only will it not cost you anything, you'll make money for doing so. Cash App is not a sponsor of the show. Anybody that has a Cash App account has a referral code. As you can see by our referral code, it's alphabet soup. It's not a, uh, it's not a customer referral code because they are not a show sponsor. I just, I just happen to like using the Cash App. But again, use whatever app you feel comfortable with. We're going to use Cash App. So I'm going to open up my handy dandy Cash App. I don't keep any money on Cash App, so I'm going to add $20. Part of the reason I love Cash App is that $20 is now available to do whatever I want with. A lot of exchanges will make you either wait before you can spend that $20, or if they will let you purchase Bitcoin right away, they'll hold it. They won't let you transfer it out for a week or a month or whatever that exchange's policies are. Cash App will let you transfer that $20 out immediately. Um, I wouldn't recommend putting $20 of the Bitcoin at a time on your hardware wallet. Um, you know, I just don't leave your money on exchanges, but... Uh, if Bitcoin does get more expensive to transact, if we ever get to the point where we see a $20 transaction fee and you have a $20 UTXO on your hardware wallet, uh, it, it'll cost you all of your Bitcoin just to spend it. So it, so I like to save up a little bit more. Um, usually I don't transfer to my hardware wallet until I have about a million Satoshis. Uh, that might be a little more than some people feel comfortable keeping on an exchange. That's certainly a lot uh, less than others do. But uh, again... Cash App will let you transfer that to your hardware wallet for free when it when the time comes, and that's another reason I like to use Cash App. All right, so we're going to tap on the little Bitcoin logo in the bottom right-hand corner. Tap Buy. Tap Confirm. And boom, just like that, we've added another 82,346 sats to our stack. Bitcoin got a tiny bit more expensive while I've been talking. We paid, uh, uh, paid $23,741.00. Or we bought Bitcoin at, at a at a price, a Bitcoin price of twenty three thousand seven hundred forty one dollars, U.S. dollars per Bitcoin. But perhaps most importantly, that is going to average our that's going to lower our average cost basis another four hundred and four dollars. Prior to this uh, purchase, our average cost basis was thirty eight thousand four hundred seventy five dollars and eighty seven cents. This knocks it down to thirty eight thousand seventy one dollars and fifty one cents. One more purchase like this, and we'll be under thirty eight thousand dollars on an average cost basis. Obviously, that's underwater right now, but if you believe like I do that Bitcoin will return to a new all-time high and set a new all-time high, uh, when it goes over $38,071, we'll, uh, we'll be in the green. And a lot of people look at that as, you know, we're underwater, we've, we're, our Bitcoin is basically worth about half of what we paid for it. I look at it as we're getting a second chance. This is a golden opportunity to stack more sats because um, we've purchased we purchased the highs and we purchased the lows in the last year. Um, but this smoothed our average cost basis out to, you know, $38,071. Whereas if you'd YOLO'd in at 40 or 50 or even $69,000, uh, you'd be seriously underwater. In fact, on our one year anniversary episode, we did, uh, I, we figured out that if you had YOLO'd in the day we started DCAing, uh, your average cost basis would be a thousand dollars more than what our average cost basis was then. And our average cost basis now is $1,000 cheaper than it was on our anniversary episode. So to that extent, 
I can say that uh, the dollar cost averaging experiment is already showing value. Um, even though we're underwater, we are not as underwater as we would have been had we yellowed. So again, Bitcoin is a long-term strategy and dollar cost averaging, regardless of what you're investing in, is also a long-term strategy. So it's too soon to judge. But I think we're getting some hints as to the value of dollar cost averaging just by looking at the last year and a couple months worth of DCA stacks. But again, you should not be purchasing Bitcoin with money that you need immediately to live, to survive, to pay those bills. You should not be purchasing anything with that money, actually. Uh, you should be saving it for a rainy day. But uh, you definitely, and you definitely shouldn't spend any money on purchasing Bitcoin that you can't afford to lose because Bitcoin is volatile. But I personally believe, and again, this is not financial advice, but I believe Bitcoin is an all or nothing proposition. If Bitcoin lives up to the hype, if Bitcoin fulfills its promise, uh, it's going to go up forever, forever, Laura, forever, as Michael Saylor famously said. Um, there's no reason that it won't just continually increase in value as it in, as adoption increases. Um, and of course, every halving, the amount of new Bitcoin available to purchase is cut in half. Um, that's obviously disinflationary, which is why we, in my opinion, why we see those four-year halving cycles. So if Bitcoin does hit that moon one day, if Bitcoin even just say, let's hit, let's say the moon is $1 million. Some people say $10 million. Who knows? You know, 21, everything divided by 21 million as Dare Gigi likes to say. But if Bitcoin hits that $1 million moon, just this stack we have right now will be worth $28,893. And I don't think anyone could argue that's not a heck of a return for a $1,080 investment. Again, this is a long-term play. And I think you don't need to worry about what your Bitcoin's worth in terms of US dollars because... As the matrix meme goes, when the time comes, you won't have to convert your Bitcoin to dollars. You'll be spending your Bitcoin. And I believe that is the case. All right. Well, if you've been following along and you like this podcast and you want to help support us, there are a number of ways you can do so. First and foremost, please, please follow us on Twitter and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. On Twitter, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod. And on YouTube, you can just search for Bitcoin Bulletin. We come up as the Bitcoin Bulletin page on YouTube. And that's where we put video versions of our podcast. Uh, this podcast is recorded in audio, and then I go back later and I make a video version, so it's not a live version of me. But it's basically the audio with some sort of video background from wherever I've been up to in the last week. And then I put the statistics and the tweets that I reference usually up uh, for you to read along. So there's a little bit of evidence about what I'm talking about. I'm not just making stuff up. You can see the tweets and the news articles that I reference. Uh, also, if you feel so inclined, you can tip us via Twitter. We have tips enabled. Again, we're at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. You can also support us directly through anchor.fm. There's a support link in the show notes or on our anchor.fm show page. Again, you can support us by listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. And thank you so much again to those of you who have been. Uh, you know, it's not a significant amount of Satoshis. It's not a get rich, um, you know, amount of Satoshis by any means. Although, you know, if Bitcoin does hyper Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin does hit a million dollars or Bitcoin hits $10 million one day dollar sat parity, you know, even a five, a five Satoshi tip is five bucks. So, so that's pretty cool. You can also support us by using the referral links in the show notes. Again, as we referred, there is that cash app referral link where if you sign up and use cash app, you'll get five bucks free for signing up. We'll get five bucks free as well. Another app that I use quite frequently is a strike app. And that referral link is even better. If you sign up and use strike app, you'll get $10. If you use our referral code, you get $10 free for signing up and we'll get $10 as well. Again, I've also written several books, but the most uh, pertinent to this podcast is Understanding Bitcoin for Noobs. It's a short book. It's a primer. If you're already, you know, an expert and you're just following along for to see how dollar cost averaging does, maybe the book isn't for you. 
But if you're new to Bitcoin, if you have questions about just the basics, the fundamentals of Bitcoin, or maybe you want to know what some of the terms you see on Twitter or Reddit are, then that's the book you're looking for. Or if you're looking to orange pill your mom or a friend or some other noob that has absolutely no idea what Bitcoin's about, other than they've heard it's a, you know, it's a digital coin, it's magic internet money. Uh, that might be the book that helps orange pill them. And it's short and sweet. It's not going to take you a week to read it. You know, you can breeze through it pretty quickly because again, it's just a primer. Again, that's Understanding Bitcoin for Noobs. It's available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com or pretty much any bookseller. But the Amazon and Barnes and Noble uh, links are in the show notes if you wanted to purchase Understanding Bitcoin for Noobs. And last but not least, there's a Beige32 address in the show notes if you want to contribute Bitcoin directly on chain or if you are watching the video version of this podcast on YouTube, that is the QR code in the bottom left-hand corner if you wanted to tip us Bitcoin directly. Also, besides just following us on Twitter... I do like to hear what you have to say. We don't have any boostergrams to read this week. Um, but if you want to DM us on Twitter, uh, we are at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. Or if you'd like to send me an email, my email address is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. And I'd certainly love to hear uh, what you think about this podcast. If there's something that you do like, if there's something you don't like, or if there's a topic we haven't covered that you would like me to cover, uh, DM us on Twitter, give us a shout on, on Twitter, or send us an email at bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. But until then, don't forget to join us this Wednesday and every Wednesday for our DCA episodes where we add to our stack. And until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>